Welcome to The Measuring Line. I'm your host, Heath Meadows. We've been talking about women in ministry using 1 Timothy 2.12 as our reference point. And if you don't recall what that says, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And we've talked about maybe the possibility of this could be contradictory because of what Paul also instructs in 1 Corinthians in several places, most notably before and after dealing with the spiritual gifts and allowing women to prophesy and how they should do that. I think there is an order that is obvious in the church and in and through creation. We went all the way back to the beginning when Adam was created and then Eve was created from Adam. We looked at the many different nuances of the the Hebrew. And so I would if you haven't listened to those podcasts, I would recommend you go and listen to those because there were some really neat things within those particular podcasts that dove into the creation of Adam and Eve and that relationship there. And I think when throughout the Bible, there is obviously a very strong model for leadership that isn't one that lords over people. So when the Bible talks about husband and wife and the, the wife should submit to the husband and the, and the husband should love the wife as Christ loved the church and, you know, Christ died for the church, there is this leading from the beside one another. That is really what the Bible kind of pictures when it comes to this whole idea of submission and leadership and the man being the head of the household. It's not this idea that we have in our current culture where being the head or or being a leader is someone who lords or has absolute authority over the other person. It's something that's done as a partnership. It's, you know, the wife was created to help Adam and to be that partnership with him that he would not be alone, that he would not be by himself. And so it's really important for us to understand and get our minds under the authority of the Bible and what the Bible says about relationships and submission and those types of things. Now, there are times when I do believe that the man is the head of the household. He is the lead spiritually, but there are times when he doesn't. And then somebody's got to step up to the plate. And, some, and a lot of times that is the wife. She has to get the kids ready for church, get the kids ready for school. And if that's the case, then the man in the house needs to step up and be a man and stop dragging his feet and, and be the proper example to the children as what a godly man should be doing, which is leading spiritually in his home. That being said, I think all decisions within the home should be should be talked about thoroughly between the husband and wife. This should be a mutual thing. If the husband and wife can't agree on one thing and the husband decides, well, we're going to do this or I'm going to make the decision to do this, the total, the total, to, well, the totality of the responsibility falls on him for whatever that decision reaps. And I think that's important to understand too. And I'm not going to get into the husband and wife marriage counseling here, but just some things to think about. There's been a, there's been many books and many more qualified people than I that have spoken on this subject. I just wanted to present it in a different light and in areas that I have not heard anybody really talk about. And one of those areas we're going to cover today as we wrap up this topic is there's prophetesses in the Bible from prophetesses kind of sounds weird, but there is women prophets from all the way from the old Testament throughout the new Testament. And if they're not allowed to speak, 
that's kind of counterproductive of being a prophet, isn't it? Now, I know the prophetic ministry today is really kind of messed up and, and not scriptural in a lot of ways. I think what the prophetic ministry really is, is preaching. I think preaching is more so, it's not so much foretelling, but forthtelling. And a true prophet really functions in that gift of, of foretell, or forthtelling and bringing forth the fire of the word of God. But Throughout Scripture, there is examples of women prophets, prophetesses that have led God's people. And, you know, instead of taking a long time and going through each one of these, I'm just going to name some of them in Scripture and give scriptural references because I do think it's important for us to realize that. So we have the first mention of a prophetess is Miriam, which is the sister of Moses and Aaron. And she is, that's in Exodus 15, 20. And we see the song of Miriam and her pro- prophetic word through through the song. Deborah, the charismatic judge, we see that in Judges 4.4, who le- leads Israel with Barak, actually has to encourage the leader, Barak, who's the leader of Israel's armies, to do something about the, the, uh, the onslaught of Israel's enemies that's coming against them. We have the wife of Isaiah, who's ref- referred to as a prophetess. And we have this story in 2 Kings twenty two fourteen, and also in 2 Chronicles thirty four twenty two, of a prophetess named Holda, who actually is part of reinstituting the word and starting a revival in Israel. Really interesting, King Josiah actually sent messengers to her to inquire of the word of the Lord. Now, there had to be men prophets for some reason, Maybe it was because she was extremely accurate. Who knows? But they sent messengers to this particular prophetess to ask. Rabbinical tradition actually recognizes seven prophetesses who prophesied to Israel. Those would be Sarah, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, Holda, and Esther. So again, there's, there's this tradition of women being prophetesses. Then we go into the New Testament, although technically we've not come into the New Covenant yet, but there is a priest or a prophetess named Anna who recognizes and proclaims Jesus as Messiah, and you'll see that in Luke 2, 36 through 38. There's a false prophetess named in Revelation 2, 20, and we also see where there's people that Philip's daughters, for instance, were known as prophet or were, had the gift of prophecy or prophetesses. There's four of them, and you see that in Acts 21, 9. And 1 Corinthians 11.5 also talks about women prophecy, which we just brought that up a minute ago. So we see these, these women that have the gift of prophecy or actually function in the office of a prophetess. Now, that's leadership. So there's something that they're allowed. That there's either a contradiction in the Word of God or we're missing something in this translation. We're missing historical context, which I, you've heard me say on this program many, many times that that is key and to understanding the Bible. And you just need to kind of dig around a little bit on some of these verses that are hard to understand or maybe at first they kind of offend you. And, of course, truth many times does offend. But in this particular case, it doesn't make sense if we take this literally to say a woman should not teach or exercise authority. I think that has more to do with that submission aspect. Is this person a Jezebel who is usurping authority 
trying to, you know, shove the authority of her husband if she's married or the authority of the male figure in the church out of the way or trying to usurp something in some way. You know, there are all kinds of different things that could go on there. But I'm going to read an excerpt of Craig Keener, who is a, is a really just brilliant scholar, spirit-filled scholar. We're going to, we're going to read his interpretation or his commentary on second or first Timothy two twelve and get what I think is really going on here and the, and the importance of it. But also keep in mind as we're talking about this, and we've brought this up as well, is that Acts 2, 17 actually talks about the prophecy from Joel that says sons and daughters would prophesy. So to say they can't speak is just counterproductive to what that office entails. To say there's no authority, well, how can a prophetess not have authority? or a judge of Israel not have authority. So there's something going on here, I think, that we're missing. And I think Keener does a great job of explaining that. So I'm just going to read what his commentary says, and this could clear up everything for a lot of people out there that are bouncing back and forth on this. And again, this is not one of those key absolutes. You're not going to lose your salvation just because you believe one way or another. But it is it is important to, to be able to articulate why you believe in that particular, whether it's, you know, for women to be able to be pastors or be in fivefold ministry and be leaders in the church or not. So Keener writes, although some women had opportunities to learn, women became teachers only extremely rarely in all of antiquity. Only a tiny portion of respected sages, such as Aspasia, so I'm going to butcher these names, by the way, Sosipatra and Hypatia, Hypatia, I think that's how you pronounce it, were women who could also teach men. In Jewish circles, Beruiah, second century wife of Rabbi Meir, was instructed in the law, but she was a rare exception. Many accused those that believed to be false teachers of targeting women because they were more vulnerable. Given women's usual lack of training in the scriptures, the error spreading in the Ephesian churches throughout ignorant, through ignorant teachers, which is from, so we're going to look at, this is from 1 Timothy 1, 4 through 7. So Keener's using scripture to interpret Scripture, but he's also using historical context that we know there were some shaky things going on within the Ephesian church and some teachers that shouldn't be teaching. And just to just to give you guys, if you're driving and you can't look this up in your in your Bible, it's from First Timothy one four through seven. It says, "Nor devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith." The aim of our charge is the love that issues from a pure heart and in good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So Keener is saying that there's obviously some problems going on in the Ephesian church and some te- a lot of false teaching, or just maybe not so much false teaching, but teaching in error because they don't know what they're doing and they're not instructed properly. And it says, in the, and the false teacher's exploitation of these women, women's lack of knowledge to spread their errors. Their prohibition here fits the situation. The prohibition, in fact, appears in only the set of letters that specifically reveal the false teachers were targeting women. 
though comment below you can't see the comment below but he references some other material there his short range solution is that these women should not teach his long range solution is to let them learn many believe that the situation might be different after the women had been instructed so keener is basically saying historically there were some a lot of issues women were not allowed to be taught in certain circles especially in Jewish circles, it was rare for them to be taught the law. So these teachers would take advantage of them, teach them something, you know, get on their good side, and then that would allow their false teaching to spread and their popularity to spread. So they were being taken advantage of. And he's saying, Paul basically is saying, you know, stop it all together because this is making a mess. And that this is the only place where this prohibition actually appears and he says the prohibition in fact appears in the only set of letters that specifically reveal that false teachers were targeting women so that's his take on it i actually would agree with with keener on this and things that i have studied myself in ephesus that if you look at it from this perspective this clears up all these other instances where we see women in leadership positions I think that, like all things, just like if a man is a pastor, an apostle, or a prophet, or a teacher, or, or an evangelist, he should run his home well or be a good husband and, and be a good father. We all make mistakes. I think everybody knows that, or we've made mistakes in the past, and those shouldn't be held against you. But as much as you can try and, and, and be that person to be a parent and to be a good good husband, to your wife, that should be just the same as a wife being a good, you know, a woman being a good wife to her husband as far as a qualification to lead. And when we, and I'll tell you, it's not easy today, society. I, I, I'm not saying that it was easy back then, but I'm pretty sure that they didn't have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all these things, TikTok, just flood your kids' You know, just the garbage that the kids are bombarded with nowadays is incredible. Um, I don't think we even realize, coming from an older generation, just how bad it is. So it's really challenging to be a parent today. And you can be a parent that that are, is just absolutely fantastic as far as being that biblical foundation giver, spiritual leader, everything, praying with your kids, all that. And um, there's still issues, and it's because of the darkness that is in our world today. So I definitely don't want to make anyone feel out there because maybe you failed in certain areas of a parent, or you think you failed. Many times it's not even failure. It's just because we all have free will and free choice, and that has to be tested, especially by teenagers. So, again, we see these stipulations, and I don't think they're any different for anybody else including a woman. And I believe that Keener is 100% right here, that women in that particular instance, because they are being preyed on and because of the culture of the time where they didn't have the instruction that many men were able to get, that there was a problem with them teaching because they weren't teaching correctly. And at that time, especially as the new church is being born, correct doctrine was really important. And if you cannot see that in Paul's writings, then you're missing a lot of Paul because Paul was really serious about correct teaching. I mean, he calls people out by name. He calls false apostles out by name. 
he loved the church. He loved the body of Christ, and he wanted to see it mature and grow to the stature that in, that Christ had called it to be. And we see that through his writings. We want to be careful that we don't do the same. But in this whole idea and this controversy with women, I think sometimes our traditions get in our way with common sense and good biblical teaching. Do I think that a wife should submit to her husband? Absolutely. But I also know that Christ died for the church, and the husband is supposed to die or love his wife as Christ loved the church. That means I have to die for myself to certain things in order to be that good husband. And so I might be this spiritual leader, but that leadership's not over her. It's actually beside her. And I think that's a big difference. Uh, and understanding how a uh, husband and wife should work together and be be one and the same. You know, you can't have this union if this one is this king at, that is lording over the other. That's not going to be, you're not going to have that union, that oneness, that marriage is supposed to be if one of you are doing that. So if you're doing that, stop it. Make sure you get into the Word of God and, and really read what it means to be a servant leader and to be a husband to your wife and a, and a wife to your husband. And I think that's important when it comes to women or men leading in the church, that they are illustrating the proper the, the proper flow of things, so to speak, the, the, the creative order. The proper order is, is, I think, a good way to put it in the home. And I know that there are, there are women out there that teach that are teachers and that are great teachers actually. And, or, and have that authority. I, I know some women that are great preachers. Like I'd rather hear them than men. And in their homes, they follow that, that biblical order. And I think that's why the anointing falls on them and flows in their life is because they recognize the order that God has given. And I think it's really important when we're talking about this and understanding what it means for women to be in ministry. But I do believe this, we're on a shadow of a doubt. If we make them stay quiet, we are missing out on a whole different aspect of the body of Christ in a whole different maturity level. That's a viewpoint that especially that only women see that men don't. That's why they were, <laughs> that's why they were called to be the helpmeet and the shield because they see things differently and they call things out differently. And we will miss a part of our maturity if we don't allow them to come in and speak into situations and teach us their perspective on God, because they bring something to the table that men can't. And that's the beauty of the difference of male and female. That's why he created them. So I hope this series blessed you. I didn't want to get into this huge you know, technical debate. I think there was just some few points I wanted to bring out in the conversation that hasn't been, at least I haven't seen them being brought forth in all the arguments that I've seen. I've never seen anybody dive into the created order and I've never seen anybody speak of, Hey, what about the actual leadership positions that women served in the Bible that are mentioned? And no one, no one mentions those. I don't understand why, because it's a good point. But again, hope this hope this instructed you. Not sure what the next topic is going to be. Probably going to go into some deliverance and exorcism stuff. That's becoming a hot topic and some things that God has placed on my heart for that, along with trauma, how the Bible can help us with healing trauma 
and just proper deliverance. I think I think we're going to, we're getting into a mess if we're not careful with the whole philosophy of when in doubt, cast it out, and we send these people home with you know the easy part. I'm going to be real honest with you. The easy part's casting out the demon. The hard part's healing the trauma and the things that happened to that person that caused the demon to be there in the first place. And the church is, is needs to be that place of safe Harbor, holistic healing, not just one aspect of healing. One aspect of showmanship is kind of where I'm going to go with this. Some of the greatest people that I know that do deliverance and exorcism, you'll never hear of because they're not into the showboat stuff and they're casting out demons, but they're also work, helping people work through the trauma and the things that's happened to them in their life. That's caused the demons to come along and attach themselves to them. So important topic that we need to discuss until we talk again. God bless.